Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. All-inclusive vacations make life easy with endless eats, bottomless drinks, and never-ending fun. So booking an all-inclusive vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. Book your all-inclusive getaway with Apple Vacations and receive exclusive perks at select resorts. You'll find the best deals at Ryu Hotels and Resorts in Mexico, the Caribbean, and Central America. And enjoy a selection of exclusive nonstop vacation flights. Turn on Easy Mode at applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Visit applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. From HowStuffWorks.com, this is the Stuff of Life. Welcome to the Stuff of Life. I'm your host, Julie Douglas. Here be dragons. We've mapped the mountains of the moon, the lava fields of Mars. We map the trails of migrant whales. We map the farthest stars. We map the ocean's shifting shore. We've mapped the open sky, the treasure rooms of Inca tombs, and where the ley lines lie. Finding our way in the world is one of the most fundamental things we humans do. It's Survival 101 using sight to guide us. Think of the strong verticals and trees and the horizon line moving our eyes across it to create the most rudimentary of maps. Perhaps that's why there are so many visual nerve cells dedicated to the detection of horizontal and vertical planes rather than diagonal ones. After all, our environment is based on this XY axis. Human beings are, all of us are trapped in a spatial box. I mean, everything we do takes place in a space. And wayfinding isn't just about the physical space around us, but the internal space as well. Like the path that neurons take, transmitting information to make memories and serve up thoughts. It's also in our body's ability to perceive itself. To test our body's mapping abilities, fellow podcaster Holly Fry and I stumbled through a few vortex tunnels, illusions, at the haunted attraction Netherworld. Here, darkened hallways have no XY coordinates to fix your gaze on, and the halls reverberate in a swirl of booming, buzzing confusion. Oh my god, the swirling stars around me. It's like I'm going through this barrel, and oh my god. How's it going, Holly? Good. Those twisty rooms in the vortex room, they genuinely jack with your equilibrium. Ah! I know, I know. <laughs> 
Losing the ability to pin yourself down in space and time can be terrifying. And perhaps this is why we can't stand to get lost, even for the briefest of moments. An idea I took to my House of Works co-workers, podcaster Jonathan Strickland, and senior editor Allison Loudermilk. It's time for me to leave. It's time for me to go back to my hotel, grab my stuff, and then go to the airport. Uh, couldn't I get a cab to take me over to Queens? So I was thinking, well, I've, I've budgeted enough time. I will take the subway. The level of panic I experienced when I realized maps were no good to me here. It didn't give me enough information, <laughs> right? I, I, couldn't, I couldn't offload that to technology. I was now dependent upon my own ability, which I had very little confidence in. Jonathan is very seldom without global satellite capabilities, but that day his wayfinding mission from Manhattan to Queens wouldn't have benefited from it anyhow. For Allison, the wilds of New York were tamed with recognizable landmarks. So I'm glad you brought up New York City. I lived there for uh, my undergrad college experience and then um, for a while after. And I noticed that the easiest way for me to get around the subway system was by uh, landmarks. Mm. So say I'm getting out at Columbus Circle. I knew where the fountain was in the in the circle, and so I would orient myself toward that. Like, okay, if I'm facing the circle, and that means I'm facing north, and I've come out at this entrance, and the McDonald's is on the west corner, and if I want to go um, cross town, I need to head toward the McDonald's. And so I had completely populated my landscape of New York City with all these arbitrary little landmarks to help me navigate you know, my life then. These sorts of non-GPS moments are far and few between these days. In fact, thanks to geographic information systems, we can overlay maps with just about anything, even happiness. Doctors Peter Sheridan Dodds and Chris Danforth use big data to make the case that across 10 languages they surveyed, people use more positive words than negative ones. They use 24 sources like websites, music lyrics, works of fiction, and social media to build up a database of words, billions and billions of words. From Twitter alone, they collected roughly 100 billion of them. And then in a kind of part B to this study, Dodds and Danforth created a hedonometer, a happiness meter that traces the signals of emotions in Twitter communications. And they found out all sorts of details about when and where we're happiest. So I thought the most interesting thing about this study, and it's one that I hadn't really thought about before, is that they found that the further people were from home, uh, the happier they were. What do you guys think about that? It may not be so much that you're not as happy at home as you are just familiar with everything. Like if I travel to Japan, I'm sure I would be expressing wonder and awe as I traveled the country. Walking around my yard, I'm not likely to do that unless something truly extraordinary has happened. Allison brings up a good point about the source of this study, social media, and whether it's a reliable barometer. I do wonder, though, in that aggregate, how much they are taking into account the fact that we try to present like our best selves book mm. or our worst selves, as the case may be, um, depending upon what you're feeling. So I wonder if the studies take that into uh, account. Well, also, there's this kind of echo chamber of what you're saying 
spiraled out among your social group. So is that really an accurate sense of what that social group feels or are they just reacting? As we have this discussion right now, my social media feeds are absolutely consumed with the political process of the United States. And I see exactly what you're saying, Julie. I see this kind of echo chamber, resonance chamber thing going on to a point where my perception of what is going to happen is largely skewed by that. So that when reality sets in a day later after, say, the primaries have, you know, Super Tuesday has passed, are very different from what I would have expected based upon my experience, simply because that echo chamber has has reinforced this idea and Uh, I've created my own kind of, if you will, map of where things are going that's not at all based upon any reliable data, but rather on this this echoing uh, sentiment that I'm hearing that has shaped my perception of what will be. Social media is a map of storytelling, the details of what we choose to disclose and how that shapes the overarching narrative of our autobiography. The story of our lives charted out in our imaginations. So what would Jonathan and Allison's autobiographical map look like? It literally would look like England, probably a romanticized, perhaps even fantastical version of England. Price of Middle Earth worked into there. I do have a Lord of the Rings tattoo on one arm, so I mean, I can't get that far away from it. But that to me, like... When I think about my past, there's certain very important events happened to me while I was in England. I've only been in England a few times, but all the times I've been have been pivotal moments. Uh, My honeymoon was in England, for example. I spent a week with very close friends in England where we all learned interesting things about one another and got hopelessly lost. All of these moments just kind of pull back. And even though I've spent more, way more time out of England than in it, I feel like I could cram pretty much everywhere else I've been into this fictional map. I think that mine would look a little bit like Fillory. And I don't know if you guys have read the Magician's Trilogy, which is wonderful. Just finished up the last one, and I'm sad. Lev Grossman, write more, please. My map is hand-painted, and it's hand-lettered, and it's probably a little bit off-scale. And the house where I grew up in is kind of castle-like, and there are various figures who are important in my life back then and still are today. And they're kind of gathered around the castle, and then we go out into the wilds, you know? Here's New York City, a tiny dot that was pretty pivotal in my growing up years, my 20s. Uh, and here's Atlanta. I mean, actually, I think it would be a map of the East, uh, the East Coast. But it would be lovely. It would be a lovely map of the East Coast of the United States and one that really has no relevance for anyone else, I think. Allison's map features Fillory, and this place is similar to mine in that Narnia is a fictional place and it figures as a backdrop in my life map. The lion, the witch, and the wardrobe was one of the first places my mind could reliably retreat to, a fantasy land that explored what it was like to be a child shaped by the forces around her. And in that respect, each of us has a bit of the fictional world woven into our autobiography. Well, if I had to make an autobiographical map of my life, in terms of what it would look like, I would think back to earlier medieval maps where vast expanses of the known world 
uh, hadn't been explored or discovered yet. So you'd have these old maps with vast expanses uh, of empty land and empty ocean where it was blank, nothing was really there. Um, and usually those parts of the maps are where you would find all of these monsters. Um, they kind of represented the unknown, so they were placed in the unknown portions of map. That's Toronto-based artist Bailey Henderson. She brings mythological sea creatures from medieval and renaissance maps to life in her ongoing sculpture series, Monstrum Marines. In her research, Bailey was struck by one particular map, the Carta Marina, drawn by Oles Magnus in 1527. It features a bestiary of marine animals, the kinds that sailors would trade stories about, beasts said to tear a ship asunder and plunge it into the briny depths. One such beast is Xiphius. This bronze sculpture depicts a bird-faced orca with a dorsal fin that can slice boats in half. And it turns out that this kind of land and sea animal mashup is common. In the Renaissance, it was a common belief that all of the animals presented on land had their counterpart in the sea. So on a lot of early maps and text, you would see creatures like a sea pig or a sea dog, a sea lion, a seahorse. They are just completely ridiculous creatures that obviously didn't ever exist, but it's quite amazing uh, the imagination that uh, early artists uh, had when they were depicting these creatures. Here, with these maps, we see Bailey's imagination working spatially, willing these 2D beasts into a 3D sculptural existence, which is in stark opposition of what we do in real life. In real life, we survey our 3D surroundings and attempt to freeze them into a tableau, compressing the details to what we want it to look like. And in this way, there's an interplay between what is real and what is fiction. To me, all maps are fictional. It's important to, when you look at a map, to kind of ask yourself the question, what has he or she decided to leave out? What rhetorical message is being given? Even the ones that people think are, you know, this is the most scientifically accurate piece of cartography. I'm John Hessler. I'm a specialist in modern cartography and geographic information sciences here at the Library of Congress. Geographic information system, GIS, is changing the way we take in details from the world. It's like mapping on steroids allowing us to question, analyze, and interpret data to understand all sorts of relationships, patterns, and even trends. So GIS and and modern mapping are really an attempt to kind of abstract from this huge, complex, multidimensional mess that is the world um, and to visualize what's actually happening. An example here is crisis mapping. In 2015, after a devastating earthquake hit Nepal, it took only 48 hours for volunteers to map incredibly useful data, like areas that had passable roads to get supplies to and from, and areas that had given way to landslides. This is a kind of humanitarian groundswell of technology. My interest in cartography has always been, at least in modern cartography, is how do we use this data to, to help people. My involvement with crisis mappers um, and, and, and the humanitarian mapping world is all about that, to kind of plan for things that are unexpected, things that are 
happening and changing rapidly. Almost everything that we humans do is is never in equilibrium. It's always changing. Uh, a city is a thing that used to be thought of as kind of the stable um, place, but it's not. It's the the transportation is moving. There's energy going in and out. There's all kinds of things happening. Um, how do we plan that to make people's lives better? That's not to say this kind of technology is perfect. While on the one hand, there's this this really beautiful side of, you know, what can we do to um, use this technology in order to improve people's lives, to plan better, to figure out how to deliver fresh water to people better, to um, plan all of those kind of resources and agricultural land use and all of that stuff. There's also that, that negative side, that the, the more of this data that gets out there, of course, the more information that, that other people have about us, um, government agencies and, and that kind of thing, marketers. Um, so there, there's, the, there's the double-edged sword there. In this sense, GIS mapping is Pandora's box. We'll never be able to stuff it back in and close the latch. And we probably wouldn't want to do that even if we could. After all, it's changed the way that we move through the world. People use it to pick hotel rooms. They go and they look at what the orientation of the hotel is and they you know, decide what room in a hotel they might want to stay in based on the view that they can see on Google Earth. Um, and so I think it's taken the... The difficulty of wayfinding out, um, in other words, the, the, the space of wayfinding, the, the anxiety of finding your way has, has kind of disappeared. We're, we're all on our phones um, uh, looking for the Starbucks that's a block away with our little GPS and our smartphones or, or anything like that. We, we no longer have to wander about looking for anything. And the spatial aspect of mapping has exploded, spiraling out and influencing every sector of technology, even game design. Take Minecraft, for example, a game that looks deceptively simple with its basic survival premise and block architecture to build shelters with. But it turns out that Minecraft is really sophisticated and it requires a lot of spatial and problem solving skills. It's taking advantage of a certain cognitive way we perceive spaces. Um, the one thing when you build a Minecraft space, you're kind of moving through it. And I think that's an interesting uh, cognitive way to look at, at, at mapping. Uh, mapping usually is a space that someone is moving through, that people are moving through. But in Minecraft, um, it's especially important that, that people can move through the space that you're building. This ability to throw off the shackles of space may help to explain the fanaticism of Minecraft players. And I think it, it really does compartmentalize a, a, certain, um, a certain fantasy we have about breaking out of what is our normal spatial um, box. Um, humans have always wanted to kind of like throw off space, throw off this, this, this geometric thing that kind of keeps us down and keeps us in place. That one thing that humans can't do is fly, and I think these things kind of play on that. John's life is in maps, and this has changed the way that he sees the world. Now we can do real-time mapping. Now we can do stuff that's updating itself, you know, immediately uh, and, 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 and looking at that. And the way that's changed my worldview is, is that I now look at the world as never in equilibrium, that there's never anything that's not changing. Everything is in motion. Everything is happening. Um, everything is interactive. Everything is connected. Maps are contours of the human experience laid out on an emotional grid. 
And in those contours, we consider location, distance, history, people, and whether we want to go there or have been there. Whether we once stood on a mountaintop, picking out the Big Dipper from a wreath of brilliant stars hanging overhead, or whether we dreamed it or flew over it on Google Earth, moving through space and time in our minds. Think of all the ephemeral maps you leave behind each day, the physical and digital footprints marking your paths, and the stories these routes tell about where you are in your life and who you are in your life, the outward evidence of your inner wayfinding. We've mapped the bloody universe and pinned it in a net. But as for charts of human hearts, we've made no progress yet. Life is written and co-produced by me, Julie Douglas. Original music and sound design is by co-producer Noel Brown. This episode also featured tracks from the album Mechanical Advantage by The Cubists. Editorial oversight is provided by head of production Jerry Rowland. Excerpts of Here Be Dragons is by Felix Dennis. We'd like to thank John Hessler for revealing the illuminating ways in which we map the world. You can find out more about John's work at warpinghistory.blogspot.com. Thank you to Bailey Henderson for discussing your research into medieval and Renaissance maps. Check out her sculpture series, Monstrum Marines, at baileyhenderson.com. And thank you to Allison Lattermilk and Jonathan Strickland for sharing your travels, real and imagined. If you like what we do here at The Stuff of Life, visit us on Facebook and Twitter. In the meantime, email us a drawing or a description of your autobiographical map at thestuffoflife at howstuffworks.com. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, 
At these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.